Welcome to 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. The people of Israel have left slavery in Egypt. They are now traveling in the wilderness living out of tents. They are led miraculously by God. God appears as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as they travel, verse 1, chapter 14, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Ziphon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And all the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So God tells the people to deliberately turn around and pull a 180 and head down and camp by the sea. He does this so that Pharaoh will be led into a trap, so that Pharaoh will look and say, oh, these foolish Israelites, they're just wandering. They, we gave them freedom and they don't even know where they're going. God's doing this so he can bring glory to his name. If you have a problem with that idea, and there are those who do, I would say this. Human beings rarely have problem bringing glory to their own name, even though we are rarely deserving. God deserves everything that we could offer in terms of our worship and our praise and glorification. He deserves all of it. He is true perfection. So for him to bring glory to his name is a natural and a right thing. When Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, seven days before his crucifixion, the people began to cry out and worship. And the religious leaders said to Jesus, tell these people to stop. And Jesus said, if they stop, the very stones will cry out. What Jesus is saying is that it was so right and good for those people to worship him. That if they had stopped, creation itself would have praised him because it was the right and true thing to do. Verse 5, the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. How quickly they forget. The Israelites have been freed from captivity a few days, a few weeks, we're not told. And how quickly they forget. Pharaoh's son has probably not been dead a month. 
and how quickly he returns to a place of pride and arrogance. Verse 6, so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt. So the 600 is his elite, but there are other chariot units as well, and he brings them. Verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Heroth, opposite Baal-Sephon. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, sorry, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Question. Did they actually say that? Did they actually say, Moses said, I have come to bring God's deliverance. Did they actually say that? What we're told earlier in the book of Exodus is that they rejoiced. They saw the miraculous signs that God had given to Moses, and they rejoiced because God had heard their prayers. This is revisionist history. Or, this is those who kept quiet, but who quietly disbelieved, quietly grumbled. And now that things aren't going their way, supposedly, they take the floor. They're camped in the wilderness, and then in the morning they can see the dust cloud from the chariots. Maybe they have scouts and sentries who run back and report what they have seen. This is what we might call situational faith. We believe God when times are good. We believe God when the moment is right. We believe God when things are going our way. But the moment the storm clouds come, the, mo the moment that life takes an unexpected turn, excuse me, <coughs> the moment that we lose control, our faith seems to evaporate. Real faith, the evidence of things unseen, is knowing that God is true even when we can't see it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm sure you have. But one of the interesting things about Portland and its topography is where you can see Mount Hood. Mount Hood is a tall mountain. But there are many places around the city where you cannot see it. You're behind a hill. The angles aren't right. And then as you're driving, all of a sudden, boom, there's Mount Hood. It's always been there. It's always been incredibly tall. It's always been incredibly prominent. But there are moments where you can't see it. The same is true in life with our faith. Jesus has always been good. Jesus has always been working in our lives. God has never abandoned you. But there are moments and situations where you can't see it, where you don't feel it. God has always been there. In the book of Acts, the apostle Paul and his traveling companions are shipwrecked. 
and for days they are tossed about in the waves and then the ship breaks apart and they cling to driftwood and bits of the ship and God is there with them the whole time. God has spoken to them. I am here with you. You will survive this. I guarantee it didn't feel like it. Situational faith. If your faith is only as strong as when things are good, then when things get rough, you will not be able to stand in that day of trial. Remember that God said, if I take the people along the road to where the Philistines are, it will be quicker, it will be shorter, but they aren't ready. Their faith needed to be built up. Everything that is happening here is a building of the faith of the people. They were not ready. They weren't ready to enter the promised land. They weren't ready to stand and fight. They needed to be strengthened. What are you doing, what am I doing to strengthen my faith, to strengthen your faith? The day of trial will come. For many of us, it is here right now. We are in a time of trial. We're in a time of pandemic. We're in a time of racial tension. We're in a time of economic recession and uncertainty. The day of trial is here. And for many of us, we're reaping what we've sown. But other calamity will surely come. What are we doing to strengthen ourselves, to prepare, to be ready? Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. See, Moses has already walked through those dark nights. When he goes before Pharaoh and says, Let my people go, and Pharaoh rejects him when he has to come back to his people after 40 years of exile and trust that God has really called him. And now he stands ready to lead and the people need to go through their trial. The Lord will fight for you, verse 14. You only need to be still. Now it's interesting that in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Moses was correct. The Lord would fight for them. The Lord will deliver them. Mo the, Moses was correct. Trust in God. But they didn't need to be still. They needed to get going. It reminds me of King David. Now, you might remember King David. He was the king of Israel. King David fought Goliath. And one day, King David is sitting in his palace, and he looks around Jerusalem and the city that's been built and the, the house that he lives in. And he says, it's not right that I live in such grandeur, but that God's house is a tent, the tabernacle. I'm going to build God a temple, a masterpiece. And so David sees Nathan the prophet, and he says, hey, Nathan, this is what I've been thinking about. And he explains his reasoning and the whole thought process behind it. And Nathan says, that sounds great. But then the problem is that Nathan prays to God that night, and God says, no, Nathan, that's not what I have in mind. You see, their hearts were in the right place, but that doesn't mean that they were doing the right thing. Moses was correct. Hey, just stand firm and see God deliver you. But what God actually said is, no, I want you to get moving. Head towards the sea. I want you to go. I want you to step out. I always worry that I could be 
in the right place, have the right heart, have the right intentions, but be doing the wrong thing. Oh Lord, search me, know me, show me if there's any crooked way in me. Verse 16, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. I will, carry, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army and through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord where I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud broke the darkness so that one side, uh, to the one side and light to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. So what's happening here is this. God tells the people to move to the sea. They come to the sea where they are now trapped. But it says that the angel of the Lord and the pillar both move. And instead of being in front of Israel, they are now behind Israel as a rear guard. The cloud is now a sort of barrier between the armies of Egypt and the people of God. The angel of the Lord... We are not really sure, is that just an angel? What, what does that mean? Was that a thing that Moses got an insight to later, God told him about? Was that a thing that people could see visibly? We don't know. Verse 21, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Israelite or the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of all their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back in its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and Yahweh swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, but not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day, Yahweh saved Israel from the hands of all the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' servant. There are those who try to explain away this miraculous event. The first thing I would say is that I do not need it explained away. I believe unapologetically in the supernatural. I believe unapologetically that God miraculously heals people. I used to be very bothered that this was not reported in medical journals. I know people who have been fully and miraculously healed of disease and infirmity. 
and the doctors can't explain it. And it used to be very, very troubling to me that the doctors wouldn't write that up in a medical journal. Now I've just kind of come to terms with it. A medical journal, a scientific journal is there for something that can be reproduced, uh, you know, re-demonstrated, re-explained. Something miraculous or supernatural just cannot. So it doesn't bother me like it used to. Still bothers me a little. But I believe unapologetically in the supernatural. Therefore, I do not need this explained. That being said, this is what I say to all of the extreme miraculous events in the Bible. Whether it be the flood, the Red Sea, Jonah and the fish, I say this. I believe that God became a man and that this man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, lived a real life on this earth for 33 years and he never sinned, never did anything wrong. And in his 33rd year, he was put to death and three days later, he rose from the dead. And I believe that his death on that cross paid the justice and the judgment for the sins of all humanity. My problem is not the crossing of the Red Sea. That is not the craziest thing I believe. I believe in Jesus and him crucified and him risen from the dead. And if that can happen, if someone can raise themselves from the dead, then the Red Sea is not my issue. Now, you will see programs on the History Channel. Oh, the History Channel. I remember when the History Channel used to actually show history, and now it's like space alien swamp monsters every week. But you'll see programs on the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, so on. And they will try to explain this away. What they will say, and this is true, before the digging of the Suez Canal, because you understand that Africa and Europe and Asia are all connected. Afro-Eurasia. It is one supercontinent. It is only divided artificially by the Suez Canal, which allows for shipping to travel between the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean, and then on to the Eastern Pacific. But before the Suez was dug, the northern part of the Red Sea was what was called the Sea of Reeds, and it was a swampy marshland. And we understand this. Uh, if you go out to Astoria and you drive across the bridge from Astoria up into Washington, there are those mud flaps. Uh, you could go out there and, and be above water. There are large parts of the San Francisco Bay where a person could stand. Now, there's so much mud that you would sink, but, but if, if the mud was firmed up, you would stand and you would stand above water. In fact, I remember the first time I drove across the San Mateo Bridge on the south side of the San Francisco Bay or the Richmond Bridge, which is, it's in the San Paulo Bay, but everybody would think of it as the San Francisco Bay on the north end. And to see how shallow it was was incredibly surprising. But the Israelites didn't walk through on mud flats. They walked through on dry ground. And the Pharaoh's army was not drowned by a foot or two of water. It was drowned. I believe that God miraculously caused the sea to part and miraculously firmed up the ground. And I need no apology for that. 
I believe in the God of miracles. And if God can part the Red Sea and deliver his people, surely he can deliver you from sin and death. If you are facing a trial, if you are facing a struggle, if you are facing something that you believe is insurmountable, if you believe that the, the struggle in your life cannot be overcome and you're just going to have to live with that sin for the rest of your life, there is hope. Because we know Jesus who doesn't just save us partially, he saves us fully. And we can have great hope and trust that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. He has brought us out of slavery and bondage, but he won't just leave us in the wilderness. I want to say thank you again for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. New episodes are released every Thursday. They are available from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and faithonhill.com. You can follow us on social media at faithonhill. Faithonhill.com is our website. And my email is adam at faithonhill.com. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. Our services are every Sunday morning, 1030 a.m. Currently, we are doing church in the field and online as well. God bless you. We'll see you next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.